0: Today's text is First Timothy 2 verses one through four. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified. In every way This is good And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior Who desires all people To be saved And to come to the knowledge Of the truth Let's pray Heavenly Father God we come to you As humble servants God I pray that Each person here Would know The treasure that they are to you, Lord. I pray that each person would understand their purpose in you, God. That you would uh, uh, that you would fulfill your purpose in them. God, I I pray for Reed this morning. Uh, I pray that uh, his words would. Um, uh, through the spirit fill us up God I pray that these words would be Like uh, the the mortar that we use To build your kingdom God I pray that these words that um, That he will teach on today uh, That they will be uh, Like like yarns uh, stitching us together Stitching our hearts together God I, I pray that uh, uh, that you would um, just bless this time, open our hearts to receive uh, this uh, this word today. And I pray this all uh, uh, in the glory of you, to glorify you, Lord, and to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: With us, those that are joining us online, we're glad for you to be with us as well. Uh, This is a very important passage of Scripture. I think there's some things in here that particularly in uh, our culture and what we're going through as a people, as Christians, as a country, I think are really important for us to hear. The essential exhortation here is that we are to pray with all kinds of prayer for all people so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and dignity. Tranquility and quietness are essential parts of a godly life. They are essential parts of a life that pleases God. And there are several components to this passage. We're going to touch on them all, but I want to start with this one. Our culture worships celebrities. We worship success. The goal is to be somebody, to find significance, to be a rock star. Uh, We tell our kids they can literally be anything they want to be, which isn't true. Uh, Unwittingly, we communicate, even in the church, that unless you are doing something big and grandiose, you are kind of a failure. That's what I loved about Alyssa's testimony. I want to just go over there and be a mom. Sometimes it's the simple, quiet ministry that is so important. We have celebrity churches. We have celebrity worship leaders. We have celebrity pastors. How strange Paul's words sound urging us to pray and to live a quiet and godly life. The Bible teaches us to live both with inward peace and as much as possible to live in outward peace. We are not to live with turmoil, frustration, and anxiety in our hearts, and outwardly we are not to live chaotic, disorderly, disruptive lives. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder but a God of peace. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Paul said, the God who desires all people to be saved wants this. He urges us to prayer and to quiet godly living because it aligns with God's desire for all people to be saved. It is a part of how we participate in in people being saved and we're going to touch more on that later but you are probably already thinking of things going on all around you that do not make your life quiet or peaceful and most of us have either a boatload of problems or at least many problems and concerns and more and more as believers as Christians in our society, and our culture, we are aware more and more that there are people out there who are not friendly or peaceable toward us at all. The world is hostile to Christ and his followers. Jesus said it would be that way, and we feel that. Today especially, Satan is using unbelievers, politicians, athletes, entertainers, teachers, virtually every part of our culture to force us or to attempt to force us to abandon truth and morality and to accept wickedness as good. And our knee-jerk reaction, if we're not careful, can be to cave in to that force or that pressure and to backpedal or to apologize for righteousness and truth and God's Word. But Paul's solution for us is to pray, to pray, to pray for all people with all kinds of prayer, and especially for those in leadership and authority. We are to stand firm and pray for those people who don't like us, for those people who are working against us. We are to pray for all people, and we are to pray especially for those in authority, as, as I understand it, Nero was the Roman emperor when Paul wrote this to Timothy. Nero hated Christians. He hated Christians even more than any probably the political leaders today. And Paul's solution, okay please hear this, Paul's solution for the cultural and political antagonism of his day was prayer. Pray with all kinds of prayer for all people so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and dignity. One temptation is for us to seek peace, to seek a quieter life through compromise with the world. Many Christians, many churches, sadly, and it does grieve me a lot to see churches who seek to remove or reduce conflict with the world by denying or understating the things that the Bible clearly teaches. And many foolishly think that we would be able to make peace with the world if we just compromise a little bit here and there, if we just water down the truth a little bit. But I I tell you, unless you go full-on apostate Uh, totally denying the Bible, the gospel, God and Jesus, you will never please the world. The other temptation, when we see the the world coming against us, is to fight the world with the weapons of the flesh, with human anger and human frustration, human resistance and rebellion. And there is a time to go against governing authorities, and Peter and John gave us examples of that in the book of Acts. But our primary responsibility is to go to prayer, is to pray for people, especially for kings and rulers, those that are in authority. Paul said, I urge then, first of all, and he wasn't saying that in a manner of uh, this is the first Thing in a list of things, he was saying first of all meaning the most important of all or of first importance, prayers are to be made for all people. Prayer is of first importance for believers and for the church. And one of my prayers right this very moment and in preparing this message is that we would receive a revelation, an understanding of that a conviction of that in our hearts. That prayer is of first importance in your life and for us as a church family. You know, Paul didn't say of first importance is singing or teaching, although we are instructed to sing and make melody in your hearts, we are commanded, commanded to preach the word. But he said, first of all, I urge that there be prayer and petitions and intercessions and thanksgiving for all people. We are to be a praying people and a praying church and I pray that we would grow in that. Romans 12, 12 says, be devoted to prayer. The word uh, from the HELPS Word Studies on this says the word means to persist, to persevere, to show strength which prevails in a fixed direction. We are to persist. We are to prevail in prayer. You know, if a prayer time either by yourself or uh, together with some other believers seems dry or you don't seem to get much out of it, that should not stop you from praying, either on your own or with other believers. Prayer is a spiritual battle, and you will go through a spiritual battle in order to become a man or woman or young person of prayer. Prayer. Sometimes half the battle is getting to the prayer meeting or actually beginning to pray. And if we feel uncomfortable praying with others, we need to learn to press through that, to prevail against that feeling and to learn to pray together as God's people. The Holy Spirit has already spoken. The Holy Spirit has spoken clearly. Be devoted to prayer. Prayer is of first importance. I urge you to pray with all kinds of prayer. The Holy Spirit's already said that to us. So our attitude should be kind of that old saying, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And so we just decide, okay, that's what we're going to do, that's what we're going to seek, that's the direction that we're going to head our lives in, even if we don't know that much about it or feel uncomfortable about it. Uh, we're going to become a man or woman or we're going to become a church that prays. The church was born out of a prayer meeting. Uh, right after Jesus ascended or went back up into heaven, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. It says they went to an upstairs room and they began to pray. It says, Luke says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Uh, the ESV says all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And what happened next? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. The church, in essence, began out of that prayer meeting. Luke said that the early church devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. I mean, there's like four things. Simple, very simple, very direct, easy to keep those priorities, I think. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Praying together, praying together is to be one of the main things that we do as a church. You know, one-on-one, when I get together with somebody for coffee, I like like to at least spend a little bit of that time in prayer. So it's one-on-one. When you talk on the phone with somebody, John Stite's always been really good at this, talk on the phone, he'd say, hey, can I pray for you before we hang up? Pray together. When you're in small groups, pray together. When you're in life groups, when you're in men's group, pray together. When we're in church, after church, somebody mentions a need, say, let me pray for that right now, go to prayer. Get down on your knees. Pray together. Become a praying people, a praying person, a praying church. When the church experienced opposition and problems and persecution, they went to prayer. Acts 4.23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, when they, the church, heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. It's so good. Samuel Chadwick wrote, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studying, prayerless work, prayerless religion he laughs at our toil he mocks our wisdom but he trembles when we pray so Paul urged us to pray with all kinds of prayer he uses supplications uh, prayers intercessions and thanksgivings I mean he's used pulling every word that he possibly can to describe all these different kinds of prayer that we are to use we're We're to ask. We're to humbly ask. We're to make earnest requests, supplications. We are to intercede, to make intercessions for people. And we are to give thanks for people. And we are to do this, Paul says, for all people. You don't know anyone who does not need prayer. You've never met anyone who does not need prayer. Uh, The checkout person at the grocery store, your waitress at the restaurant, the plumber who comes to work on your house, your mailman or your mailwoman. uh, That didn't sound right. Mail delivery person. (laughs) The neighbor you run into on the sidewalk. You can give thanks to God for every one of these people. What would your life be like without them? And you can pray for their salvation because most of them need to be saved. You can pray for God to be at work in their life and revealing truth to them. Paul says they need to, they need to come to the knowledge of the truth. In Ephesians 6, 18, Paul said to pray with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. Pray for your brothers and sisters here in the church family. Pray for the young people here in the church family. Pray for the elders and deacons here. Pray for those who are sick or in some kind of trouble. But also, pray for those who seem to be doing fine. I guarantee you, every Christian you know is wrestling in some way with the powers of darkness. Paul said, pray for all the saints. Paul specifically then tells us to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, or New American Standard says positions of authority. We're to be praying for everyone who has any kind of leadership position over us or anyone who has authority to impact our lives. We should be praying for men and women in government. We should have been praying for President Trump when he was in office and we should be praying for President Biden now. We're to pray for governors, senators, employers, journalists on both networks. Pray for their salvation. Pray for them to somehow come to a knowledge of truth. Uh, Pray that they would be restrained from evil plans and ideas. Pray for wisdom. Pray for God to Change hearts. And give thanks wherever you can for all people. I firmly believe that our our most important role in politics is to pray. To pray for politicians. Christians should vote. Christians should speak truth in a culture full of lies. We should be involved, but Prayer is what makes the difference and will lead us or enable us to lead quiet and, tr- and, and peaceful lives in all godliness. Alyssa got me crying and I can't stop. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. It takes prayer to do that. It takes God. It takes God. And we need God to turn the tide. We need God to move upon our leaders. We need God to change hearts and to bring people to repentance. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. This is when Uh, Judah the Jews were carried away the the, uh, tribes were carried away into uh, Babylon and it says uh, seek the peace of that city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord pray to the Lord for that city for in its peace you will have peace very interesting verse basically God said if you pray for Babylon, you will have peace in Babylon. If you pray for that city, you will have peace there. Part of our prayer for leaders and kings is prayer for relief from government hindrance or intrusion into our circumstances and lives and churches so that we may be left alone or free to lead a tranquil life in as Paul adds, in godliness and integrity. And Paul emphasizes that, that this is the goal of this prayer. He's first urged upon us, this prayer that he has urged upon us for all people, all kinds of prayer, and then more, he gets more specific to pray for those in authority, so that you may lead a tranquil life in quietness and all godliness and dignity. So we are to pray to that end or so that we can do that, so that we can lead a certain kind of life, so that we can live in a certain kind of manner. We are to be always prepared for persecution, but we are not to pray for persecution or suffering. Uh, you know, once in a while I hear people, I, I don't know if they're trying to be super spiritual or what, but, you know, pray for that to happen. And it's just not wise. It's a, it's dangerous and foolish to pray for that. No, we're to, Paul tells us to pray just the opposite. We We should be praying against evil and praying that the government would be restrained and praying that we can live quiet, godly, peaceable lives. So... Tranquil, quiet lives are an outcome of prayer, but it is also a quality of life that we are to seek. Living quiet, peaceful lives, inwardly, outwardly, in in godliness and dignity, is part of God's will for your life. We are not to passively wait for things to calm down. Uh, Paul said, "Pray so that you may lead a a peaceful life." So that I mean, you you actually are the one who has to do that. You have to choose that you're going to lead a peaceful and quiet life. Kings and rulers with changed hearts or policy may give us the opportunity. But we must choose to lead a quiet life. We are are not to lead a chaotic, a disorderly, or restless life. We are not even to be excessively, frantically busy. Now, we're to be hard workers, okay? But we're not to be like workaholics or excessively or frantically busy. Psalm 127 says, It is futile for you to rise up early or to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labor, for he gives sleep to those he loves. We are not to live in a state of frustration because of people or the government or the news. Psalm 46 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. He said, God basically says, I've got it. I've got it handled, I will be exalted. You can see striving. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, which I quoted earlier, uh, in the ESV says, aspire to live quietly, or New American Standard says, make it your ambition to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands. Uh, in the church in Thessalonica, there were those who Paul called busybodies, uh, not working, n- not providing for themselves, Causing uh, trouble, this, uh, being a burden, and Paul said in Second Thessalonians three eleven, uh, we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. Uh, they are not busy; they are busybodies. They were causing disturbance or stirring things up in a bad way. And Paul went on to say in Second Th- Thessalonians three twelve, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So this is is not talking, this peaceful, quiet life that we're talking about, we are not talking about a withdrawn, self-focused life, a life that is focused only on your own personal peace, your own self-protection, your own security and safety. It is talking about a manner of life that glorifies God by being at peace in your heart and ordering your life in a quiet peaceful way. And that includes living at peace with others as much as is possible. Paul said in Romans, taking care of your own life, working and living in a unnoisy kind of way, working and living without commotion. And Paul says this is, this is good and pleasing to God. It's something, so it's something that we, we need to, to learn how to do. Uh, a couple other verses that verify that this is God's will for us. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Quietness is is a good thing. It's it's better better than having a house full of food and a a great big feast. Isaiah 32 17 says, The fruit of righteousness will be peace. It's a fact. It's a fact. The the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. James 3 says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. gentle and reasonable. Uh, sinful attitudes and choices such as jealousy and, and selfish ambition, which James mentions, lead to upheaval and chaos, following God's wisdom, that wisdom that comes down from him from above. Leads to peace and order in your life. Does not mean that there is like a total freedom from trouble, but even in trouble, doing the right thing leads to peace and composure and quietness. And Paul combines these four words, just I think it's a beautiful description of the way we're supposed to live in tranquility and quietness or in peace and quietness and godliness and dignity. Godliness means to live in reverence for God, that we live our lives toward God and we live our life for those things that matter to God. We seek to please God. We live a godly life. Paul appeals again and again and again throughout the, the, his letters, and especially here in Timothy, emphasizing how beautiful and important godliness is. The word translated uh, dignity in the ESV means honor or gravity. It means t- to live in such a way that inspires re- that inspires respect or reverence. So in a way, there's uh, this dual thing going on. We are to live out with great reverence toward God and we are to live in a, in a way that would inspire reverence or respect from others with, with dignity. And again, Paul said this is good and pleasing to God. So I don't know about you, but I think if, if we know that praying and praying for all people is, and leading a quiet, godly life, if we know that, that's, that that pleases God, that God looks at that and says that's good, then that settles the direction of our lives, doesn't it? I mean, that informs us where we're going. We know what to give our, our lives to. And then Paul ends uh, this, his thought by describing the heart of God uh, after giving us all the, these instructions of, of how we're to pray, who we're to pray for, and what it's supposed to lead to, the purpose of it, he, said, he, he, he describes, uh, he says this is good and pleasing to God, and then he, then he adds on who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul's going to expand on that in the, as, on the passage as we go on. But I just want to say this. In Paul's mind, praying for all people and living peaceful lives and godliness lines up with God's desire for all men to be saved. If God desires people to be saved, then we want that. So in our prayers for all people and leaders, part of our prayer is for them to be saved. I mean, we are to pray, intercede uh, on behalf of lost men and women for them to be saved and for them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Unsaved people are living in Blindness. The God of this world has blinded their eyes and they need to have their eyes open to see the truth. And that takes prayer. And there's no human argument that can open blind eyes. It takes takes a work of God and that comes through prayer. But also, leading peaceful, godly lives contributes to people being saved. We pray for people to be saved and understand the truth and part of our witness to the world is our quiet and godly lives. Acts 9.31 says, The church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Do you see? That? It, was, it, was, it was a church at peace. They were at peace. They had peace, it says, and they were living in a godly fear of the Lord. And it says, the church multiplied. You'll never hear that at a church growth seminar, but it's right there in Acts. Paul told believers in Thessalonica uh, to live quietly so that you may win the respect of outsiders. He's saying that's part of our testimony is part of the way that we're effective in bringing people to the Lord. We, he's, he said we're to walk properly before unbelievers, those outside the church. First, Thessalonians 412. Uh, John MacArthur said, when believers display diligent work attitudes and habits and live in a loving and tranquil manner that respects others and does not intrude or gossip, it constitutes a powerful testimony to unbelievers and makes the gospel credible. Quiet, tranquil lives and godliness and dignity makes the gospel credible. People must hear the message of Christ to be saved. Don't, you know, don't misunderstand me. Faith comes from hearing, from hearing the, the message about Christ. Uh, but Paul said this is of first importance that you pray for all people and lead quiet, godly lives without prayer People won't get saved, no matter how much we work, and without people seeing us live in peace and in godliness, our message won't be believed or accepted. Prayer accesses the the power of God to open blind eyes, and peaceful, godly living makes a powerful, collective testimony to the unsaved world. Prayer can change people and a nation more than you think, Uh, Leading a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity can be a more powerful witness than you may imagine. So, uh, church family, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Be encouraged. God can use your life through your prayers and living in a quiet, godly way. Imagining that we must do grandiose things I think is a problem in the church today. Again, it goes back to this celebrity culture that we live in. It almost becomes like a false burden or responsibility upon people to be something more Than they are, or more than what God has made you to be. You know, the Lord told Jeremiah, Do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. Or I think in the King James says, Seek them not. How about devoting yourself to a life of prayer and living in a quiet and godly manner? How about teaching our kids to pray? and to go lead a responsible, quiet, orderly life. That pleases God. It's good. It's good. And according to this passage, it affects governments and leads people to getting saved, and those are the things that really matter in life anyway. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask you to accomplish your work by your Spirit in our hearts from this message today. Sanctify us, Lord.